We are uh, talking about the poor and the hungry today. Um, I've, uh, I've only been hungry in my life when I fasted or when I planned really badly, all right? Um, many of you, uh, you've experienced the same thing, that you've been, you've been hungry at times, but most of us haven't been hungry with a capital of H. Now, I know there's some of you that that's not the case, that maybe you've gone days without food, uh, maybe you didn't even have a place, a shelter to, to live, no, nothing solid for a while, and that you understand hunger. And, and uh, some of you, God has brought you out of that. And now you're in a home, and God's just done a tremendous work in your life. Um, but people understand different points of, of hunger. Um, and one of the points I want to make today is that if we want to be more like Jesus Christ, we need to not only love God, and love unbelievers, but we need, to, we need to love the poor, we need to love the hungry, love those that are oppressed. Let me uh, read to us out of Mark chapter 8, verses 1 through 10, this story about Jesus feeding 4,000 men. Mark chapter 8, verses 1 through 10. In those days when again a great crowd had gathered, and they had nothing to eat, he called his disciples to him and he said to them, I have compassion on the crowd because... They've been with me for three days now and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way. And some of them will come from far away. And his disciples answered him, How can one feed these people with bread here in this desolate place? And he asked them, How many loaves do you have? And they said, Seven. And he directed the crowd to sit on the ground. And he took the seven loaves. And having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to set before the people. And they set them before the crowd. And they had a a few small fish. And having blessed them, he said that they should also be set before them. And they ate and were satisfied. And they took up the broken pieces left over, seven baskets full. And there were about 4,000 people, and he sent them away. And immediately he got out into the boat with his disciples and went to the district of Dalmanutha. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word, uh, which has just been proclaimed. Lord, has been proclaimed uh, at the beginning, through Matt and through song, Lord Jesus. And now we're going to unpack your word today. And we, we place ourselves under the authority of the Bible, Lord. And if there's any of our friends in here that maybe they, they respect Jesus or they, they think there's good things in the Bible but never have come to a place of, of faith in Christ or even faith in, in the Bible, of trusting it as well. Uh, Lord, first of all, they're so welcome to be here. Uh, it's an honor to walk with our friends uh, who are uh, spiritually seeking things, God, because we, we know that you're the ultimate seeker of, of people. And we just pray, God, touch people's hearts, even today, Lord, and, and bring people to that tipping point, that aha moment that only you can do by birthing something in their hearts. Um, but God, uh, for those of us that, that we call ourselves Christians, Lord, worshipers of Christ, followers of the Bible, God, we submit ourselves to you right now. And Holy Spirit, we ask for you to speak, and, and you're going to use a vessel that's imperfect like me, God. But that's all a part of it. It's not because I'm great because I'm not. But you are great, and you use your word, and you use me, you use worship teams, you use, you use presentation on, on granite walls. I mean, it, you use people digging into the kids' lives, Lord Jesus, and students, and, and God, you'll use this time right now. Just take a moment right now. Uh, all you guys are here or even listen to this in the, in the future and just say, Holy Spirit, lead and guide me and transform me today.
God, do only what you can do. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, as we go through this story, I'm not going to unpack the story in the way that I did in the earlier story of the feeding of the 5,000. If you, if you want to, to understand a lot more of those ramifications, uh, go to the website, check out that message, and a lot of the same, the same things that, that are potent in this story, you're going to find there. Um, what we're going to do is, is we're going to go a couple of different directions uh, today, just as, as feel the Lord leading. Um, and uh, again, one of the things we're going to unpack is what does it mean to be hungry, not only in America, but right here in Huntsville, Alabama? What's it mean to be impoverished in our own city? And, and what are some practical things God can do in moving on our hearts to move us into action, uh, to have knowledge, to, so we don't plead ignorance, but also to have the resources and, and the bridges by which we can cross to, to plug in and to, to be a part of what God wants, wants to do. So let's, uh, let's unpack this and uh, starting in those first three verses, go back again. In those days, when again a great crowd had gathered, they had nothing to eat. He called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion on the crowd because they've been with me now for three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way, and some of them have come from far away. Now, Charles Spurgeon is, is uh, one of the most amazing preachers there's ever been, and one of his comments on this section here, he said, some spiritual thinkers, spiritual teachers, think that it's beneath them to devise anything for the temporal good of the hearers, but our Lord was intensely human and humane. He could not look on hunger and faintness without pity. You guys, Jesus proclaimed the, the gospel all the time. Okay? There's nobody who preached the gospel better than Jesus did. And he preached it to the masses. And we're told that we're to speak the gospel as well. All right? But we also see Jesus' compassion over very practical needs that people have in their life. Jesus loved them with His message and with His actions. And so should we. That as we look as we look at what it means to proclaim the Gospel or the great news, and also to be the Gospel or, the, or be the great news, that those are actually two sides of one coin. That we can't split that and just say, well man, I'm just, I'm just a guy that I'm just called to tell people about Christ. That that's not, that's not enough. That's faith without good works. But... We also don't split the coin and to say, well, you know what, I, I, I don't say things, but I, just, I'm just, I can just do good things. Well, God wants us also to be able to give Him the credit as well, to be able to point people to Him, to proclaim great news as well as to be the great news. And today is one that's very centered on what it means to be good news. And for us to say, God, what can that mean in my own city? And and. and I don't want to build up a savior complex in any of us. I, I don't want us to think that, that we are the hope for everyone else. We're not. We're not the savior. But we are to be his hands and his feet, as well as his mouth. And so there's, the weight is off of you. You don't have to go and save people. All you've got to do is say, Jesus, where do you want me? Holy Spirit, now direct me. What it is that you want me to do? Verse 4 said, His disciples answered Him, How can one feed these people with bread here in this desolate place? Now guys, this is the second time this has happened. There's a time before where there was about 5,000 men. And we don't know how many more women or, or children were with them, but at the very least, thousands upon thousands of men 
were gathered. And, and so he taught them a lesson in there. He, he showed them, first of all, that they weren't able to be the ones who could save and, and to be the answer to all of these people. But he also taught them to have compassion on them nonetheless and to trust him, to trust him with being their answer. And so there's a couple of things that I just note, being that this is the second time around. First of all, this was an opportunity for them to apply what they'd learned the first time. And guess what? They didn't. They didn't. Right? So this is, this is an example right here that might as well have been David Few. Except it probably would have been like the fourth or the fifth time there was around four or 5,000 people. Because I just don't get it all the time. You guys understand that, don't you? You're in the same boat uh, as me. We're in together. Uh, that we don't always get it. But you know what's great? Is that not only was this the opportunity for the, uh, them to apply it, but secondly, this shows God's great patience with them. That, I mean, this is a very clear example that God loves and is patient with us to where the whole thing was duplicated. I mean, this is, this is a really strange story Days would go by, and then all of a sudden, people don't have any food left. 5,000 men need to be fed, and then all of a sudden, he does it once again. He wants us to know, you guys, that, that though we're, sometimes we're going to get it the second time, sometimes it's going to be the tenth time, God is always going to be there to remind us, to bring conviction, but also great love that we're immersed in grace all the while. That is a great God. That is a God that I need because I'm an idiot at times. But he's got it together, and I'm so grateful for it. Verse 5, he asked them, how many loaves do you have? And they said, seven. And he directed the crowd to sit down on the ground. And he took the seven loaves, and having given thanks, he took the seven loaves, uh, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to set before the people, and they set bef- them before the crowd. And they had a few small fish. And having blessed them, he said that these also should be set before them. And they ate and were satisfied, right? So you have hungry people. It says three days. So, so this, is, this is an example of folks, they've, they've run out of, these guys have run out of their, their food and they're hungry. Um, and it was something that was beyond them to be able to fulfill. And that's the same case with poverty and hunger. Poverty and hunger is something that is it's beyond us in its scope. We will not fully under, over... We will not fully overcome it. But our hearts need to be soft. Just look at Jesus' example. He had compassion on them. And then He he helped them. Guys, it was not Jesus' fault that they were hungry. It's it's strange to me that 4,000 men would have to be rescued by another dude. Alright? Actually, you know what? It's not all that strange to me. Because we're dudes, right? Guys get ourselves in, in trouble like that. Because of bad planning. Now, I'm grateful to live in Huntsville, Alabama. I'm grateful to even to be in this church because we've got some people that are incredible organizers, strategists. We've got some people that can engineer and think through and, 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 and get things going. I, I, and I'm, I'm the kind of person that, that I, will, I will create chaos. And there's, I'm grateful there's people that can take chaos and create order. One of the things I talk, talked about Michelle Schultz the other day is uh, my administrative assistant is that she's basically a reverse wood chipper. I give her chaos, she gives me stacked logs. And I'm grateful for that. Um, guys can get themselves into trouble. I know you ladies can 
as well. It was not Jesus' fault. It was because they had not planned well enough. It's also, I mean, you see that there's a hunger that's there. I I don't want to leave. I want to stay close to Jesus. And that's a good thing. And so, but they got them into a place of trouble. You know what that tells me, though? That tells me that God does not just help those who are helpless. He does. He loves the helpless. But do you know that that God also is merciful with those who make poor decisions? That is great news for me and for us. What are the implications of that? Well, as we're talking about the hungry and the poor, uh, the homeless will will fit in that type of a category. Um, There was a point in my life that my philosophy was I will help somebody as long as they're worthy of being helped, as long as they're not going to abuse my money, as long as they're not going to go and, and take, take it and go buy drugs or something like that. I'm only going to help somebody if they do it right. Well, guess what? I mean, you're hardly going to help anybody if that's the case. Number one, because you've got some scales, and I've got some scales in my own mind by which we're judging people of whether they're worthy of help. That's bad. Secondly, because all of us are broken. I had to learn that it's okay that if you help somebody and and maybe they walk on you, or maybe they abuse whatever gift that you gave them, that your gift, first of all, is to glorify God, to glorify Jesus, and to help them. What they do with the gift is up to them. But I'm grateful that we have a God that doesn't only help those that are helpless, but also those that make very poor decisions. Thank God for that, because that's me. The rest of uh, verse 8. They took up the broken pieces that were left over, seven baskets full. And there were about 4,000 people, and he sent them away and immediately got into the boat with his disciples and went to the district of Dalmanutha. Um, you might be somebody to say, you know, I, I just I don't have enough to give. I don't have enough to share. You might say, well, you know, if, if I could just get that raise, then I'd have enough money. Or if, if, my, uh, if, if my wife would just get a job, or, or if, if this or that, or if I could, once I get out of debt, or once I pay off this credit card, then I can afford to be generous. That's, that's not the way it works. Generosity is something that says, right here, right now, where I am, God, what I have doesn't belong to me anyway. Tell me what you want me to do with it. And sometimes God will say, He'll say, all right, you just have about seven loaves of bread. Trust me with it. Give it up. Give it, a, give it up because I'm going to do something that's going to blow your mind. Now the people, the people in the first story of 5,000, the, the loaves and the fishes, the loaves, fishes that are here, they didn't know. They didn't know what was going to happen. And that's the case much of the time with generosity and with compassion, even your own time. When you say, I'm, I'm willing to start carving out time for other people that are, are just like me or maybe somebody that's very different from me. It takes a risk like that. And you just trust, trust the Lord with that. These guys were hungry, hungry for a, a day or two. And Jesus fed them because He cared for, for their daily meal there. But Jesus also cares for those that are hungry daily. 
those that weekly that things fall through the cracks. Let's take a look at hunger in America here in North Alabama. Um, first of all, hunger hunger's connected to poverty, but it's even more connected to unemployment. So says uh, feedingamerica.org. Uh, and so uh, you're going to have that connection first with those that are impoverished, but they say, I mean, it's just it's an absolute bullseye with those that are, are unemployed. Um, I'm, I'm sure Fran could bring um, more light about that and the folks that, uh, that she gets to, to feed on a weekly basis. Um, uh, again, also from feedingamerica.org, uh, seven states um, were, uh, they had significantly higher household food insecurity rates than the national average in 2009 to 2011. In the United States, um, the food insecurity rate is 14.7%. 14.7% of Americans have an insecure amount of food, all right? But then in some, these following states, they're higher than that. Mississippi's 19.2%, Texas 18.5%, Arkansas 19.2%. Alabama, 17.4%. Georgia, 17.4%. Florida, 16.2%. North Carolina, 17.2%. Guys, that's the southeast right there. There is a lot of hunger in the southeast. Now, let's talk a little bit about North Alabama and Huntsville. Um, There was a Hunger in America 2010 report for North North Alabama, excuse me, um, said a few of these things. Uh, Alabama's Alabama's um, low food security rate meant that about 126,000 households were affected, which exceeded the national average in 2010. They also say that 54% of public school students in Alabama receive free or reduced-priced lunches. 54% public schools. Over half the kids in public schools in Alabama receive free or reduced price lunches. More information um, from that 2010 report. Uh, the Food Bank of North Alabama said there was, in, again in 2010, 104,000 people in 11 counties that got food from them in the past year. Um, that was in the, the Food Bank of North Alabama. Uh, 31% of the people that were served there were under 18. of the people that were served there were over 65. 64% were white, 34% were black, and 2% were Hispanic. 25% of the households served included at least one employed adult. Do you hear that? A quarter of the people served at the food bank had at least one person employed, and they still weren't able to have safe uh, food um, rations. 15% 15% of the food served were homeless, and 30% of households have at least one adult in poor health. And so, again, ill health and medical bills all, all uh, add up to this. Um, Job describes the hardship of the poor who are hungry. From Job 30, verse 3 through 4, describing how this said, Through want and hard hunger they gnaw the dry ground by night in waste and desolation. They pick saltwort and the leaves of bushes and the roots of the broom tree for their food. 
And that's a very bleak description of what it's like to be poor and to be hungry uh, when you're chewing on leaves just to try to make your stomach to feel a little bit better. It's a place of exasperation. Proverbs 6, 30-31 says this, People do not despise a thief if he steals to satisfy his appetite when he's hungry. And it goes on to say, But if he's caught, he'll pay sevenfold and will give all the goods in his house. But again, even when you think about it, someone who's hungry and they steal so that they can eat, there's a compassion that's there even for that type of a criminal. Um, but God cares for the hungry. Deuteronomy 8.3 says this, He humbled you and let, your, and let your hunger and fed you, and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that He might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. So in there, there's a transition of thought that, first of all, God does care for our physical needs. He loves you. He created you to have to have food and water and, and sanitation as well as possible you know, to be able to live and, and to live, live a, a, a healthy life. And, and there's many that don't have that. But he also points in here that our physical hunger is something that's a sign. It's a signpost. It's a finger that actually points to a spiritual hunger that we all have. That only Jesus can provide. Psalm 63 verse 5 says this, My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. But guys, I mean, you know what it's like when you... When you've gone, you've skipped a meal or maybe two meals, got fasted from a dinner to a dinner or for a whole day, and then finally you break that fast. You know that's what breakfast is, right? You hadn't eaten for 9, 10, 11 hours, something like that. You break your fast. And man, that food tastes so very good that God is saying, look, I am way better than that. And your hunger that I placed in you is far deeper and greater for me than it is even for the food when you're hungry. 1 Peter 2, verses 2-3. through Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you've tasted that the Lord is good. Guys, we are to drink deeply and to eat deeply of Christ. Um, I was watching a documentary uh, that the Romans and Nero's days and, and the ones even around around there, Hadrian and others, and, and that part of the reason why they hated Christians so much is they thought that they were cannibals because they talked about communion. That they thought that they, they, they were people that would actually eat flesh and drink blood. And, and to them, that was immoral. This was part of the reasons why they would, they would kill the Christians, among others, and, and other wicked, wicked things and deceptions. But they thought that. And, and that's, re, that's the reason why people do think Christians are crazy to think that God would become a man and then die for His own creation. That is a crazy story. And for Jesus to have said among these Jews, hey, you must eat My flesh and drink My blood. And it was that point that they picked up some stones and they wanted to kill Him because it was, it was just hor- horrific in their minds that anyone would say something like that. And yet God is just saying, look, I place within you a hunger for Me. That can be, that you can be content and satisfied with nothing else but, but me. Psalm 107, verse 9. 
For he satisfies the longful soul, and the hungry soul he fills with good things. Matthew 5, 6 says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be what? Satisfied. Satisfied. Augustine said this, Our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. That's another way of just saying there's, there's an infinite hunger within us that will never be satisfied with anything. None of the gifts that God has given us, no relationship, no power, no influence, no materials will fill that hunger that's within us except for Jesus Christ. That's the only thing. So physical hunger points to a spiritual hunger. But we do have the physical hunger. We do have those that are physically poor and hungry. And, and again, the, you can have some wrong motives in, in wanting to help the hungry. You, you need to know that you are not the Savior. Philanthropy could, could be a, a new Tower of Babel. Guys, you cannot get to God with your works, and we cannot replace God with our good works and with our philanthropy. Don't replace Christ, but rather point to Him as their Savior. And so guys, there can be right motives, and God wants us to be motivated to help the hungry, to help the poor. That we do seek first the kingdom of God and and His righteousness. And part of the kingdom of God is to seek the shalom of a city, like Jeremiah 29 talks about. That we take seriously where we live, our Jerusalem, and say, God, we can't be all over this world, but You've brought us here, so open our eyes to the people that are here, that we may bring the blessings of God into our city, even if they never turn to Christ, God. We want to be a blessing. We want to help those that need help in our own city. We should care for those that are hungry. And when, when they ask why in the world that you would care, you tell them because God cared for me. And God cares for you. He loves us. Now guys, I want to bring up a, a friend who models this very thing. Uh, she and a big team feed uh, the hungry in our city and they get all kinds of opportunities to, to not only help, but I know to share about Christ. Uh, Fran, uh, why don't you come on up? You guys, this is uh, Fran Fleuler uh, from the Manor House. Uh, let me grab this. And if you, if you want to stand behind her, if you, you want to hold it, whatever you're comfortable with. But uh, Fran, it's so good to have you. Uh, we thank God so much for what He's been doing in you. And there are so many, I know there's so many Christians that they've been helped by you. Christians who come, have come to help, but they've been the ones that God's impacted their lives. And, and uh, I know Dave and Karen love you dearly, and there's others that have been so deeply influenced by you. Um, just take, us, take us back to the beginning, to the why uh, of, of, what, of what God showed you and revealed to you. And, and talk to us a, a little bit about the hungry here in Huntsville, Alabama. Basically, we were, um, as a family, uh, just kind of being friends with a lady that had a little boy, and uh, Ramon was about four, and uh, she got laid off her job, and she called me, and she said, I went and applied for food stamps, and I found out I can't qualify. They counted my last year's tax income, so I don't qualify, and she said, if there's a place in Tanner, will you go with me to get the food? And of course, what do you say? Oh, sure. 
And then she says, we have to be there at 5.30 on a Saturday morning. And I thought, oh, only for you, God, would I do that. You know, because that's really early on a Saturday morning when you got three little kids. And I said, sure, I'll do it. So I got up in the morning and I grabbed her and me and another friend drove to Tanner to help her get groceries. And what we walked in was just a warehouse made up of a bunch of Christians who were there trying to reach out to a community and feed somebody. And they were getting all the overflow from Huntsville. So we're driving into Limestone County, which is underfunded, to get food for people from Huntsville. And my brain's thinking something's not there. And this sweet little man came up to me at 530 in the morning and said, you know, girl, you got the call of God of food all over your life. And I looked at him and I thought, that's not a really nice thing to tell a large lady on a Saturday morning at 530. <laughs> but okay. So I kind of looked at him because I really didn't understand what he meant, you know. And, um, and he said, could you come back and talk to me on Monday? He said, just bring, I said, well, I have my kids. He goes, just bring your kids. So we pull up to that warehouse on a, on a Monday afternoon with my three little kids, and there's one truck. And I'm thinking, am I supposed to go in there or not? Is that really safe? Is that smart? Oh, sure, it's safe. You know how you tell yourself that? So we go walking in, and you know what? Within 30 seconds, he scoops my little boy up, puts him on a forklift, and starts riding around. I'm thinking, oh, my goodness, what have I done? And um, I get in there, and he pulls back up. I'm thinking, this guy's crazy. And then... You know, we wait on God and we don't open our mouth. He jumped off. He says, okay, I gave you a great little ride. Now let me talk to your mama. Brilliant man. Got that little boy to be still. And he began to unfold to me the need that somebody that would just feed people and pick up food who didn't know. Because I kept saying, well, I don't know what to do. He said, just come out here in your Lincoln and I'll fill it up. I said, okay. So we did. And pretty soon we had a truck and things started moving. So out of my house, he said, called DHR. See, we don't have to be forward thinkers. I'm the in the now person. And, um, and you know, God is so good because I called DHR and I said, hi, I just want to tell you that we're helping feed people in Madison. And she goes, okay, what's the name of your ministry? I said, oh, we're just doing out of our heart. She goes, a heart ministry? Yeah, sure, that's good. I didn't know you had to be a 501c3. I didn't know you're supposed to be ministry. You know what I mean? So they would call and they say, hey, Heart Ministries. Oh, sure, sure, this is me. Yeah, good. You know, I'm like, wow, I didn't know where I was Heart Ministries. And, you know, we weren't taking any money. We were just doing it out of our own bank account. And um, they would refer people. And I had kids. And I had ballet. And I had ball things and karate for Christ and all that stuff. So we would just take a bag and we'd stuff it full of food. And I'd take a name tag like you're wearing today. And I'd slap Palmer on there or Smith or whatever. And we'd light them on the porch. We'd take off the side. Now, don't take anything that's not in your bag or your cooler. And they'd do it. And they'd drive in and out all hours of the day and night. And, um, and really what we saw was moms who were going through tough times, dads who'd been laid off, people in bad car wrecks. We'd never worked with the homeless. We just saw a need. And we realized it was growing. And God bless my sweet neighbors who, after 12 and a half years, said, have you ever thought about getting a building? I was like, no, that's a great idea. So driving down the parkway, I look over and I see this crazy warehouse. And I whip in. And I'm like, I'm going to go in and see this building because the International Fire Protection guys are there. And, you know, hey, the door's open. And I felt led to go in there. And uh, as I went in, I was talking to the guy. And you talk about being crazy bold. I don't know why, but I just said, are you a Christian? He goes, I go to church. I said, but are you a Christian? He goes, I go to Sixth Street Church of God, Decatur. So you're from Decatur. And, um, and so then he goes, I go, I have to ask you this question. Do you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? He goes, yes, I have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Why? I said, because I want to pray in this building. And why I would do that, I don't know. But what God began to do is move in his heart. And he said, 
Well, let me show you. It's wired for food. And it had rows of electrical plugs because it was the old research genetics shipping and receiving for sub-zero freezers. I'm dancing. He's like, you could put a walk-in cooler here. I mean, he's just like building the vision. And I now know that God said to him, help this lady. He gave me the name of the owner. He shouldn't have done that. Gave me the phone number. Shouldn't have done that. And we began to call him. And they thought we were crazy. They thought we were a rescue mission. They didn't want the homeless there. And I said, oh, we don't feed the homeless. We just feed moms and dads because that's what we did, right? And um, they still weren't sure. And one Sunday, um, I attend The Rock and Pastor Rusty got up and said, we're not going to move. And uh, we're on Independence Drive. We're moving in the old research genetics building. And I said, God's not going to torture me and send me to church next door and not give me that building. He's so faithful. So I ran up Pastor Rusty and said, tag, you're it. You know how to get the building. He's like, no, I really don't. But he began to talk to them and began to tell them she has a passion to feed moms and dads. Just let her try it for six months. So we moved in that building for six months, and there was nothing in it. And I would dance before the Lord and worship him and say, I don't know how to shop for a family of five. You're going to have to help me shop for a family of 100. Because I thought it was huge that we're feeding 100 families a month. And um. We began to move all the freezers that we had scattered in churches all over this amazing community and in people's garages. And um, we moved them in. And as we did, there would be skateboarder guys outside. And they would say, um, so what are you doing here? I was like, hey, y'all come on in if you want water. And one night when I was there by myself and people were lining up for food, I said, well, I can't open the door, guys, because I'm here by myself. But I'll feed you all these shopping carts. And the guys go, oh, we can help you. And they all started coming in. And from those young men, many got saved radically. And I realized that young people had a heart to feed the community. And that it wasn't about me. It was about opening a door for people to come serve. People were starving to serve people who were starving if I could just open the door. And so what happened is the brigade at Manor House was Christians, non-Christians. And the goal was to win the lost while they were feeding the hungry. And so when we feed people today, it is truly in your message what you said. I'm like those disciples. It's like I got seven loaves and a few fish. They're still lined up around the building, God. And all I can see is their salvation need. But I got to feed their belly. And all of a sudden I'll go, oh, yeah, I've got peas. Grab the black-eyed peas. They're for New Year's, but we'll feed them to them now. And it's so amazing because you buy, you buy, you buy. But he multiplies. And Dave's been there. I'm going to say, let's go to the freezer. And you throw the freezer open. Sorry, thank you. It's anointing. It's all over this place. You can fill it in this building. Sorry. And um, the anointing will wreck me in a moment, you know. But um, you throw the freezer open, and what should be 10 packs of frozen chicken left, it's half a pallet. And I'm like, let's go. And you, it's endless. And the last person in the line always has something neat. Doug knows. He's been there, too, and Kyle's been there. It's, it's amazing to watch the power of God multiply the food day after day after day. And um, the strength of the dream was I just want to do it. This little country guy who was really humble and sweet, and he was trying to feed mamas, I wanted to take the load off him. I didn't have a huge vision, and I think that's how God wanted it started was so that I would always know I'm not the face of Man House. I'm one person, and it takes this massive community of love that says, I got five bucks. I don't know what you can do with that five bucks, but God will multiply that five dollars. And the feeding in Huntsville is homeless. <laughs> God was going to teach me how to work with homeless. I didn't know. And, um, you know, we went back to the people who thought it was feeling. So, by the way, we are feeding the homeless, but we didn't know we were going to feed the homeless, you know. <laughs> so we were honest, but we didn't know. 
But the needs in our city are people that look just like us that need a bike because their car broke down, but they've got to go to work to feed their kids or that um, maybe they were in a bad car wreck and they don't have their car. We have little boy Lucas that Kyle ministers to that rides his bike to me and has to get food for his whole family because his mom was so injured she can't get out and drive and he has an autistic sister and a deaf brother. I'm sorry, autistic brother and deaf sister. And he gets on his bike and comes to get food for the whole family. And through the power of Jim and Kyle loving on him, he smiles first time in seven years. And so sometimes our, our ministry is more to the heart, which it should be, and about salvation. I just don't want to see them wrapped around the building waiting for food and there not be a Christian in there to pray for them at the end of the line. Did I answer your question? Yeah, that's Sorry. Absolutely. It's awesome. Um, and now, segue, uh, segue us a little bit into especially kids and children. And uh, I know we've got uh, Scott and Leanne Newsom uh, that are here. And, and maybe even if you want to start touching base a little bit of, of connections with Four Life Ministries and just a little bit of the vision of what, what's going on there as well. Okay. Um, when he first said children have to share my first thought, I want to encourage you to bring your kids to work at Manor House. Um, you just need to be about four years old or either you need to be in a stroller or on your daddy's, you know, chest or on those little backpack things. My little granddaughter comes and works. She's been working since she was an infant. Um, I took her down there and she's now three and she loves to work. But I think it's really awesome for children to serve children because when Gracie stands behind the bagels and says, Smith, don't you want a bagel? It just brightens everybody's day. We all smile. We all love it. And that little man who didn't have any teeth took the bagel. His rough, crusty hand led to a beautiful smile because she was so brilliant. You know, that, the, the joy that comes from a child serving really makes the day, and that puts hope in them. So I encourage you to come. Many of the children at Manor House are struggling to make it day by day. They are on free and reduced lunch, or maybe they've never had to have help, and they don't like the food we have there because mom always could cook healthy, and now they're having to eat mac and cheese and canned vegetables when they had fresh. That's a real transition if you've never had to make it. Um, and so uh, when we were just trying to meet the needs, and Leanne and Scott would come and work and bring all their kids, and they saw those needs growing. And so there's a new program but whereby you will be able to sponsor a child. And you might only sponsor that child for six or eight months because mom and dad get on their feet, and they won't need that help in the future. But you might sponsor that child like Lucas, and it's for a really long term. And so for $35 a month, just like World Vision and Compassion, I know Karen and Dave are so involved with that. And I have kids that I'm not going to drop out of those programs. I'm still going to keep my kids that are international. But this is a chance for you on the local level to provide food, meat, frozen veggies that are flash frozen so they're healthier than can for a child who's going through a really tough time and bring hope to a mom who doesn't know how to make the ends meet. So we're very excited about that program. We may have time for one question. Is there anybody that's got something that's just burning that you'd love to ask, Fran? Thank you. Um, well, one more question then. Sure. How can, we, how can we pray for you? Oh, pray for salvation in the line. My, um, my heart 
each day when I, I intentionally, after we open, always make an excuse. I've got to go out, and I always leave the building. Everybody who's worked at Manny House knows I suddenly disappear. And um, the reason is I want to go out and see the line. I just want to walk out and see the line. And um, I see it when I'm, you know, working and putting stuff out. But the goal is I want to go see the line because I want their faces imbrained, imprinted in my brain so that at night I see that face and I picture that woman. And I begin interceding on behalf of the Holy Spirit. Even in her sleep, she will come to know him because I can feed them. But until we feed them, Jesus Christ, there is no change. And so many have gotten saved through Manor House. And I say through Manor House through the power of the Holy Spirit, because somebody touched and cared about them. Somebody prayed I over and over, come to the experience at the end of the line of saying, well, let me pray with you about it. And they look at you like, okay. Because so many are unchurched. So many have no knowledge of what that beauty is. And so if you would feel led as you drive by the building, that that ground would be holy, that they would feel the power of God, and that when they come in the building, they wouldn't be met with a tired, grumpy little volunteer who's worked all day and their feet are hurting because they've been there too long, but they'd be met with the smile of Jesus. I fly around the building like a little wild bat, but you know, God uses that hyperactive child in me. But there's others who come because they're widows and they're really lonely. And I hope that their little smiles will smile at the people coming through the line. So I pray the love of Jesus on the workers, and I pray salvation over that line every night. It just, it, that's probably my heart cry. I go out on the dock and pray over the city and over the building, and I do it at crazy hours of the night. And, um, and as I pray, I always pray that the people at the end of the line can feel the presence of God pouring off that dock. And that's my heart cry. Awesome. Thank you. I'm going to pray for you in just a second. But one more question. Um, uh, for people that God starts stirring their hearts, tell them when you do what and how people can jump in. Okay, awesome. Um, I probably stepped out from your authority today, but when I heard your praise and worship team practice, I was like, that is awesome. So I went to Cal and I said, y'all need to come do outdoor church. So one of our events is the first Saturday of every month. So like in March, um, and we do music message in a meal. We'd love to have, I'd already talked to Pastor David about this a few weeks ago. Um, We'd love to have Pastor David come and have y'all come and play. And then the congregation come and serve because we serve food and just love on people. So nobody eats alone. You sit outside and maybe somebody that doesn't particularly look like somebody be at your Thanksgiving dinner table, but it's great to share a meal with them and just make them feel good. And we've had so many 180s from outdoor church and just gives them a chance to kind of taste church without being in a wall and um, being in four walls. And um, so I'd encourage you that we um, do Monday, Wednesdays, and Thursdays, two to seven. And I say, come only as long as your feet, your back, and your kids can endure. Don't stay beyond that. And um, so you just drop in, leave when you need to. Some people come for 30 minutes, some for 45, some for like Karen and Dave for hours. So, um, but we would love to have you drop in and just serve the community any way you felt led to. That'd be awesome. I think we actually looked at May the 4th. Is that still good? Yes. Okay. All right. So you guys, let's find out if it's good for you guys and also for uh, the rest of the church. May May the 4th. That would be awesome. To do it. Listen, let me, let me pray, pray for you. Thank you. Thank you so much for coming. We love you. And, uh, you're just, you're such a, a godly anointed woman and, uh, Jesus shines through you, girl. Thank you. Yeah, let's pray. God, thanks so much for Fran. Um, Lord, uh, you shine brightly through this sister, Lord. And uh, we just, we, we clearly see you. And so grateful for the faith uh, that you gave to her, that she gave right back to you, Father, to just obey. And uh, Lord, um, 
here's just an example of how you can use a person and to rally many other people to love a city uh, for the glory of Jesus. And we know it's about you and your glory. It's about people getting saved, Lord. But it's also compassion for very real needs, the folks that are hungry, Lord, or folks that are in transition. And so we, we ask for anointing over Fran and, and over her other leaders and, and just over the facility itself, Lord Jesus. We pray, we pray for blessing and for strategy and for safety. We pray for conversions. We, and, and there's just tons of growth that takes place in, in Christians, Father. And we love that it's an environment, Father, that unbelievers and believers can serve together and that you capture the heart, Lord, uh, that when they, see the good, when they see the good news of Christ, that they begin to believe the good news of Christ, Lord. And, and we just thank you for uh, the part that you want Christians in Huntsville to play in Manor House and uh, in Lincoln Village Ministries, Lord, and for Life Ministries, Father, and specifically for Sojourn in the way that you want to press us in. God, thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, it's, uh, it's awesome, wasn't it? Hearing from uh, a great sister, uh, very grateful for. Um, let me just uh, throw a few more thoughts out at you guys. Um, I've been really thinking through as we analyze Sojourn Church and what God's up to, and, and, and uh, several of our leaders, we've just felt God stirring. There's just some things that God has been doing among us, and He's been kind of pocketing people in some areas of ministry and of compassion for our city, and, and as it even extends across the globe. And there's two scriptures that I think kind of can become um, uh, true norths for us in processing through this. And first of all, it's, it's James one twenty seven, which says, Religion is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. And guys, I think you, you've heard a little bit more of what it means to analyze the orphans and the widows that are in our city. Some that fit that categorically and, the, and others that kind of fit it broadly of what it means to help the helpless, to bandage the wounded, and to have opportunities to point to Christ in there. And so we say, God, inspire us and show us what it means to love, love and serve widows and orphans in their need. And then Acts 1.8, I think, is is the other one that then projects things out. You will receive my power power when the Holy Spirit's come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the uttermost parts of the world, the end of the earth. And I think you, you pull those together just for a compassion initiative, just to say, God, we want to love the orphans and the widows. We want to be your witnesses with our mouth. We want to be your witnesses with our hands. We want to be our witnesses with our feet. In Jerusalem, in our Huntsville in our area, and all the way to the ends of the world, God, show us how we can proclaim Christ and be the great news of Christ to those that are around, to rescue the widows, to rescue the orphans. And guys, I, I believe that He's been pulling things together to bring a strategy specifically for Sojourn Church. And when Danielle and I, we, we met at the Newsom's house just a, a few days back, and I was flabbergasted at what... God's place in their heart, and we're going to have to have you guys back sometime and just to have you all share um, what, what God's doing. And I'll also talk about which, uh, what's coming up in about a week. Uh, but just to, to, to see, I think, the congruency with what God's already been stirring, because we've got a lot of you all that you've been plugged in at Lincoln Village 
ministries and the academy and, and other things. And others of y'all through Manor House. And then others, God has been shaking you in the areas of sex trafficking and what's taking place. And others that are so, that your hearts are, that you love, you love children, uh, you love orphans, and you're being led towards foster care and adoption. And I could not believe that every one of those things was being processed by, by these guys and being pursued by these guys, specifically with Lincoln Village Ministries, specifically with Manor House. And so, guys, some very clear action steps for you to get more information and to plug in. Um, again, Lincoln Village, man, it's, uh, there's so much in feeding kids and fostering and adopting some needs there. Manor House, feeding families, opportunities to foster, to adopt, to, uh, um, to have a, a child that, that you help to support. Um, for Life Ministries with Scott and Leanne Newsom. Um, they, their uh, website is forlifeministries.org. One word, forlifeministries.org. Go check it out. Now, here's the deal. Next, um, it's February 16th, right? At what time? 6 o'clock. Tickets are? Tickets are online at forlifeministries.org. For you to come and to hear this vision. I know several of us leaders, we're going to be there uh, and excited about that. We, in, we make that invitation out. Go to fourlifeministries.org, buy your tickets, come and join because I think God is doing something very great and very timely to try to bring congruency in what, what God's up to uh, for compassion and the gospel in our city and around the world. Just as we uh, conclude things, I want to remind you again the story that we're in today, the 4,000, it was the second time around. And for some of y'all, God's given you opportunities for the hungry or for the poor and giving you different lessons. And, and like me, there's areas you haven't learned yet. Guess what? God's patient. And He's given opportunity again. So just listen to Him and just plug in and jump in where God says to plug in. He loves the poor. He loves the hungry. He loves the lost. He uses feeding and helping to be able to point to Him. I'm going to pray in just a second, and then we're going to have communion. In fact, man, if you all come on up and get yourselves ready. Um, as, we, uh, as we go to the tables in just a second, and you guys who are serving, uh, if there's folks who are serving today, you all can go ahead and get set as well. Um, just know this, that, that we, we come... We come to this table today as those who used to be orphans, as those who were spiritually hungry that couldn't be satisfied with anything. And now we have Christ. And Christ says, come to me and I'll satisfy you. I'll bring all your satisfaction. So as you go and you take this bread, and you, take, you, you dip it into the juice or into the, the wine today, just know there is no satisfaction like Jesus. And so He, come, he reminds us again, come Come to me. Come to me. Lord, uh, we, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for uh, your, your love, Father, for those that first of all are spiritually dead, spiritually poor, spiritually hungry. You didn't leave us that way. You came, Jesus. You lived the perfect life we've never lived. You died the death and that took the separation that I should have taken and we should have taken. You took it all upon you. You took every bit of hell that would have come upon me and upon us and you paid for all of it. There's nothing left to be paid for. You paid it all, Jesus. So we thank you for that. 
But you didn't stay in the grave. You rose again because you are God. You can't keep God in the grave. We celebrate you today. We, we process, Lord, what it means for you to be the light of the world and for us to be a part of not only be your mouth, but to be your hands and feet. God, lead us as we come and we're satisfied by Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Tables are open.